Good morning. It's good to see you. We could have the slides up, Obi, please. Okay, brilliant. Thank you. Well, good morning. My name's Rob, and uh, I'm associate pastor here at TWCF, and it's good to see you. So if it's your first time here, then welcome, and uh, we look forward to getting to know you more over the coming weeks and months. Uh, last week, Stuart started a five-part series um, around some of the values we hold as church and um, took us through prayer and presence of God and how um, we can be carriers of his presence as we go about our daily lives, living for him in all that we do. And later in the series, we're going to be looking at some other core values, but today we're looking at the value of community. And uh, it's, a, it's an interesting one to come up now because of um, where we are as a congregation. We've, um, for those of you that don't know, we've recently had another community join us. So we're working our way through that. What does this all mean? And um, so uh, what I'd like to do is start by telling you a story. In fact, um, start by telling you a couple of stories. And they're both very similar, um, both around similar circumstances that we find ourselves in at the moment. Um, and I'm going to exaggerate in both stories, just to make you aware of that, to emphasize a comparison uh, between the two. So, um, so just like you see on many of the movies, I want to add a, a fictional disclaimer in um, at the beginning, just to get me out of all of the trouble that, that I'm probably going to get myself into. And uh, so the fictional disclaimer is this. The story all names characters and incidents portrayed in the story are hopefully fictitious. No identif <laughs> identification with actual persons, living or deceased, blah de blah you can, you can read it for yourselves. So here we go. Two stories. Once upon a time, there were two churches, both in the same town. One in the centre of town, one in the south of town. And through a string of coincidences, they ended up being one church, with one church closing and moving to join the other. And the church in the central town were very comfortable doing well and got, got used to growing a bit and shrinking a bit, but essentially being a close family. Some have been there over 30 years and they've made their friends a long time ago and, um, and stuck with them and they were comfortable. And the church in the south of town was a, a, a little in shock. Everything that they've invested in and worked so hard for over the last 40 years as a church seemed to have just something happened to it. Officially it had closed and the building was being transferred and they'd, they'd, they'd had this precious family community that had met and they were now sharing a Sunday morning with a bunch of strangers. Some of them very strange. <laughs> and uh, the, the church in the centre of town um, suddenly found that their seating arrangement had changed. Shock and horror. And the seats had sat in for, for, for years had changed and there were even more people that they didn't know. And the congregation from the south of town weren't sure where to sit. So I felt a little uncomfortable while they tried to work out what was happening, um, what the flavour of the new place was and who was in leadership and who everyone else was and what was going to happen to their building that they still felt attached to. And sadly in this story, they didn't get to know each other very well because they were both holding out, hoping to go back to the way it was just a few weeks previously. Here's the second story. Uh, like the first story, it also has a disclaimer, although I'm going to change it slightly. I'm going to change it to this. The story, all names, characters, incidents portrayed in this story are hopefully not fictitious. Some identification with actual persons, living and dead, hopefully, I don't think I mentioned any dead people. 
hope it's not prophetic, um, places and buildings is, is intended and probably should be inferred. And this story is about God and two church families praying for breakthrough. In late 2017 and early 2018, the congregation of one church family earnestly sought God's heart through 40 days of prayer, asking God for his, his plans and purposes to be revealed for their congregation and the community that God had given them. And at the same time in January 18, the other church uh, in the centre of town started a week of prayer and fasting. Uh, earnestly seeking for God to move in power and reveal more of his plans and purposes for the congregation. And then in January 18, God moved. And he answered the two congregations' prayers in a way that neither expected. By making a way that the, the baton of the gospel that both carried would be passed under the care and leadership of one of the congregations. One had a heart ready to, to plant into a community. The other needing a transplant to, to bring new life and community. And God was at work. The church on the, the, the south side of town closed. The members invited to join the other church for the heart transplant. And the members were, were welcomed with open arms and loved and valued from day one. Because their unity life started to flow into the enlarged congregation and life started to spread out of the church and onto the streets. God poured out his spirit into the new congregation and said it was good. As friendships grew and everyone helped each other and encouraged each other, um, it was like a huge family with the anointing of God all over it. And a sense of security grew because God was present and there was a real sense that um, God was leading everyone in a new direction and in a new way all together with one new heart, with a new passion and a new energy. And the congregation, now one, shifted their, their minds and their hearts from looking back to looking forward, excited that God had answered their prayers. And there was a new beginning and a new era in the spiritual life of Tunbridge Wells. God was at work and the desire to return to the old ways was superseded by a recognition and excitement that God was on the move. All they needed to do was step into his plans as one community. Together, they all held the baton for the gospel and, and looked to strategically plant themselves in the centre and south of town, sharing the baton together. And God used them in both venues to transform lives and communities and uh, a generation in Tunbridge Wells. People across surrounding communities were saved and transformed by the, the love and unity of this one community spread over two locations. The unity between the whole congregation was so evident they became known as one of the most loving and sacrificial congregations, winning hundreds, maybe thousands of souls for Christ across the town. Two very different stories. I wonder which one you'd like to live. I think by putting up two highly contrasting and overemphasized and strongly worded stories, we can start to get a feel for the potential of how we all address community. And I think it's fair to say that the sense of unity within God's people can be um, make or break for how or even if we impact those around us um, that need to know Jesus. Those around us that are lost in life, have lost hope. And our effectiveness, our usability by God as a congregation, um, as a beacon of light in a dark world is threatened by disunity. 
So over the course of this morning, we're going to be looking at a few Bible verses and seeing in, in just a few of the many places in the Bible that look at community life and the potential of what happens when we operate in and out of a place of unity. So I'd like to pick up uh, uh, from where Stuart left off um, on prayer and presence last week because many of the values um, overlap and uh, aren't standalone and they, they blend on how we just do life on a, on a day-to-day basis. So just to give you an indication on where we're going today, I've picked a few scriptures and I just want to pull out some observations um, first from the, scriptures, uh, from the scriptures and then um, circle back and use these uh, observations drawn from the scriptures, foundations, uh, to see how they might apply to us uh, today and moving forward. So um, let's start by turning in your Bibles, if you will, to um, Acts 2. I'll put it on the screen as well, which goes like this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I'll put this point up now. Foundational point one. God desires unity with all people and calls them God's people. Acts 2 tells of uh, one instance of the giving of the Holy Spirit to the believers at that time and then the reaction of the crowd watching them. And it says this uh, uh, about the crowd. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, um, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one had heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, "Um, aren't aren't these... um, All these are speaking Galileans. Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of um, Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, um, Phygera and Pamphylia, Egypt and uh, other parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, other Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Then later on in Acts 2, the crowd hears the gospel from Peter and then turns to the disciples and asks, "Um, what do we do about this? And Peter replied to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Peter's telling this to a crowd in excess of 3,000 people. And he says, this promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. uh, For all whom the Lord God will call. And then verse 41 goes on to say, and those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So we see that this group of believers, and we're we're not told if it's just the 12 or the 120 that were gathered, but the group were filled with the Spirit and spoke in a way that the crowd from different areas and nations of the world heard the language being spoken. And they were amazed so much that... um, that when they asked, about Peter, uh, asked Peter what, was, what to do about it, and Peter tells them the gospel, 3,000 were saved. What an amazing day. I imagine baptizing 3,000 in a day in Jerusalem was quite a feat. So from this section of Scripture, we can see that God wants to reach people from every nation under heaven. But what about the different people in the nations? See, these were all Jews up till now. That 3,000, it says, were Jews. What about the non-Jews? 
What about the second, third, last in communities like slaves or the women of the day that were in some places second um, citizens in their culture? Let's take a look quickly at um, Galatians 3 because um, here Paul addresses this and I want us to clearly understand that Christ is for all. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is for all. And Galatians 3, 26 to 29 says, says this, So in Christ you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with, with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Jesus Christ. If you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now this doesn't mean that Jews don't exist anymore or Gentiles don't exist or that slaves and free don't exist or men and women don't exist anymore. No, what the scripture is saying that in Jesus, i.e. for those who have responded to the message of Jesus, that all are equal in God's eyes and can receive everything God has for them. God desires unity with all people and calls them God's people. So we're looking at three foundational points of unity at the moment. Um, and before we look at uh, some of the ways on how this is applied in our lives... Um, so let's move on to the next scripture I've pulled out about unity. And this time, rather than unity between God and people, this is unity between each other. And specifically, it's Jesus praying for believers to have unity together. And it's found in John's Gospel. I'll put it on the screen in a minute. And this is Jesus praying to his Father in heaven, praying for his disciples and the people who hear and believe their message. So it's the Gospel of John, chapter 17. Verse 20, and Jesus says, um, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world might believe that you have sent me. So this is Jesus praying for, for our unity. Um, he's praying for unity, not just praying that everyone be nice to each other, although that starts, that's a good start, but a unity that is um, uh, as close as Jesus was to his Father, that all believers would be one. And Jesus so desires to see unity, he even puts unity um, with each other before offering our gifts to God. See, Matthew 5, um, verse 23 says, Therefore, if you're offering your gift to, uh, at the altar and there remember that your, your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there. In front of the altar, first go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. Jesus is saying clearly there's a dynamic between uh, where there's disunity with others, and, and this has the potential to disrupt um, uh, a relationship with God, because Jesus is saying, um, if you know that you caused offence, go and be reconciled. Then come back and present uh, the offering to God. And then Jesus, Jesus told the disciples in the Gospel of John um, 13, verses 34 and 5, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And Jesus is telling them that he's, he's given them the example of how to love people and that they're to love each other in the same way. And this is just before the Passover meal, before the crucifixion. And, and, and Jesus is saying that um, his demonstration of love is an example for us all to live. Not that we need to be physically crucified, but to have that level of love for each other. By this, this love, Jesus says, 
everyone will know that you are my disciples. Jesus desires that those who believe in him have unity together, so much that he commands it and makes it possible. So we've seen that God has made unity with him possible. We've seen that Jesus has made unity with others possible. I want to share one more verse with you about unity and then move on to how this might um, uh, affect us as we go about our day. Um, And uh, the verse is from Psalm 133, and I'll I'll put it on the screen uh, as well. And it's this. How good and how pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is uh, as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Foundational point number three, there's a blessing when there's a combination of unity with God and unity between God's people. So here we have this Psalm of David where, where David is describing in word pictures the, um, the, the beauty of unity. And first David describes unity as like this precious oil uh, running down the head and beard and clothes of the priests. Um, now the oil for the priests was a, was, was a special oil used in dedication and consecration to God. And they put it on the, the, the priests' hands and their ears and their, their toes. And yet here David is describing unity as such an outpouring of this oil that it's running down the priest's beard and dripping into his clothes. And this oil for priests was infused with spices. Um, It smelt like a mixture of cinnamon and cloves, and uh, its smell wasn't private. It was like a sweet perfume. But if it was dabbed on the priest's ears or their hands and you walked past the priest, people would be sure to catch a waft of it. And it would remind them of the holiness of God, the consecration of the priest, and uh, the presence of God in the temple. And here, unity is described as that oil dripping off the priest. And it's powerful picture language that, that shows the preciousness of unity. Unity in consecration of our lives to God and, and unity of God's people living together. And David goes on to share how that place of unity is a place of God's blessing. But not just any blessing, it's a place of God's blessing of eternal life. And second, David describes unity as the dew of Mount Hermon landing on Mount Zion. But what does that mean? Well, Mount Hermon is known in the Middle East uh, for its lush green vegetation. Even in the summer months, the, the dew was known to sustain the vegetation compared to Mount Zion where at least during the summer months, um, at least the, the land was dry and dusty and sun-scorched and parched and yielding nothing uh, and being in a place of desperate need of re- refreshment. David also would have been familiar with, with the dry and parched land, a land so desperate for any moisture it could get. So he's passionately relating unity between God's people with this sense of refreshment that can only be found in true unity. So I'd, I'd like to spend a few minutes um, looking at unity and community and how, how the, the verses we've looked at this morning might help us when the rubber hits the road um, Monday morning and, and, and how we are um, within community together and there's one main point I I, I really want to to share with you today one overriding thing that I think we can take away Um, and it's this church community is God's plan to transform the world and to fully step into God's plans we need to be in unity with each other and unity with God
And so in pre preparing to look at this main point today, um, I want to take a quick look at the word community because our understanding and interpretation of this word can transform our, our um, practical application of the main point. So here it is, a dictionary definition of community, a group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. And, and this dictionary definition is split with the word or, and I think it's really helpful to understand the two definitions uh, because it's important that we get our definition of community right because it may well affect our identity. So two different definitions. One, the group of people living in the same place. Or number two, having a particular characteristic in common. And there's a small danger here in the, in the definition. Um, if we base our concept of community um, too small, like sharing a building, what happens? What happens if the chair layout changes? You see, we, we run the risk of hitting some fairly major identity issues because our definition of community is too narrow. And I, I believe we need to make sure we don't do this and broaden our understanding of location to town-wide. So let's look at the second definition of community as well, just having a particular characteristic in common. And in this definition, it isn't about location. It's about... Um, it's about something else, having a characteristic or part of our character uh, in common despite physical or location differences. Well, that sounds suspiciously like Paul's definition to me of being one in Christ that we read earlier in Galatians 3, where Paul said that in Christ you are all sons of God through faith. Paul is making Jesus the central part of our definition of community, the center and head of the community, in fact. And I believe that as we switch from a com community defined by where we meet to a community defined by Jesus, we get a fresh opportunity to experience true unity. If, I, if I'm honest, it's a transition I'm, I'm needing to continually correct in my own self at the moment as, as I sort of broaden my scope and, uh, to, to thinking across two locations. I'm, uh, it, it's, a, it's a constant challenge that I have to keep resetting at the moment and I suspect you're going to find yourself needing to do something similar maybe not maybe your brain handles change better than better than mine but um, but from my experience it's not easy because we're creatures of habit but nonetheless it's a transition that I believe we're being called to make so far we've seen that that God desires unity of people with him then we saw that Jesus commanded the disciples to have unity together now we've defined community. So let's take a quick look at what that might mean for us here and now as a community of, of believers together and uh, being in the community of Tunbridge Wells and surrounding areas. Um, and the topic of community is as large as the value of community itself. So what we're going to do now is inst instead of coming up with a list of what community is and isn't, um, I'd like to share what we've looked at so far and see how they can sit as, as, as values deep inside us. Um, rather than a set of rules to follow. Because um, I think it's through holding these values deep inside us uh, and operating out of them rather than a rule book that I think we can honour God and encourage one another and find um, freedom and understand um, uh, the, the need to reach out to the lost. So here we go. Through Jesus, we can have unity with God. Unity of God is for all, no matter anyone's background, class, race, colour, ability, male, female, it's all of us, you and me, all are invited 
Peter, that we read about in Acts 2, said this, this promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all who the Lord our God will call. And he was referring to that promise in the Old Testament um, about in the last days, God pouring out his spirit on all flesh, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That combination of salvation and filling of the Holy Spirit, that laying down of our lives for God and giving uh, of his life to us, the indwelling spirit of God in us, having received forgiveness for our sins through Jesus dying on the cross, purchasing reconciliation with God for us for an eternity, means we can have true unity with God. That's all of us. Can I ask, are you confident that you know God as your Lord and Saviour? Can you confidently say you have unity with him and there's nothing in the way of your relationship with God? You see, your answer to that question alone can transform your life if you're honest about it. Does God have your attention? There was a father I was chatting to, um, and um, he was sad. His kids were on Netflix most of the time. They were at home, and he hardly saw them. Um, they hardly spoke to him until they needed feeding or s- some cash. And, um, and then uh, after they'd had what they needed from him, they went back and disappeared into Netflix land again. And uh, he was expressing how how sad he felt. And he loved his children dearly, but Netflix had stolen his children. And uh, I I think it's the same with us in the world and uh, and and how we relate to God. See, Netflix had stolen his children. I wonder if God might be saying, the world has stolen my children. Are you building your relationship with God? I'm not saying he stops being your father if you don't maintain the relationship well, but I am wondering at the sense of sadness from God when he sees what distracts his children away from time with him. Hear the call of the loving father today, calling you closer. So through Jesus, we can have unity with God. Let's move on. Jesus commands God's people to have unity with each other. So yeah, God, God invites us to know him deeper and deeper and is calling us to live for him um, every day, every hour, loving him, enjoying his love for us, remembering that he loved us so much that he gave his one and only son for us. And we're challenged to know God's love and to know how much Jesus loves us. But I'm not sure we fully understand how much Jesus really does love us. And then Jesus challenged his disciples and us as disciples um, at this time with, with this command to love each other as Jesus loved us. Let's read again John 13. Jesus said, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you're my, my disciples if you love one another. And I don't know about you, but as I pondered these words, that instruction from Jesus, um, I found it profoundly challenging. Question for us, do we really love each other as much as Jesus has loved us? Three, how do we, and how do we do that? How on earth do we love each other? Every single, how, much, how do I love every single one in here? How do you love every single one in here as much as Jesus Loves you. Three suggestions, quickly. Um, Love is a choice. Jesus chose to give everything for us. He chose a people from beyond the creation of the world. He chose to meet with us. You, me, we can choose 
to love others too. Love is sacrificial. Jesus chose to give up his life for us. He sacrificed everything for us. You, me, we can choose to live sacrificially to love others too. And lastly, love puts others first. Jesus came to earth and he rolled up his sleeves, picked up a towel and washed feet. He took on the very nature of a servant. We can learn to do the same too. So we're called to be a a community in unity, choosing to love each other, serving each other and putting each other first. I'll ask again, do you love each other in the same way as Jesus loves you? Because Jesus is saying this is how the world will know that we're his disciples. Right, my, my final point, and it's, re- it's really the results of getting the first two points right. Let's look again at Psalm 133. Let's read it again. How good and how pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down Aaron's beard, down the collar of his robe, uh, as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Unity with God as God's people. Living as, as God's people together in unity equals a blessing for us and for others. And the keys to understanding this are in the, are, are in the last, first and last lines. Let's go back. Uh, the first line, um, uh, uh, how good and how pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And then the last line, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. There's a commanded blessing for when people live in unity with God and each other. But I've got news. The blessing isn't just for us. The eternal life isn't just for us. Let's look again at um, at some verses we read earlier. Back in John uh, 17, verse 20, Jesus said, um, I I, I pray also for those who believe in me um, through their message that all of them might be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so the world might believe that you've sent me. Look at the last line again. That they may also be in us that the world might believe that you have sent me. We're called to unity so the world might believe that Jesus saves. And then the psalmist goes on to describe the oil, that sweetly fragranced oil that that, that the priests were called to dab on and and how David described the unity in God's people, that's us, um, as like that oil but dripping all over us as priests, head to toe in the fragrance of Christ, wafting his presence wherever we go. Can you see the blessing permeating communities with the fragrance of Christ when we get unity with God and unity with each other together? We're called to be a fragrant community that that brings life. And we do this with unity with God and unity with each other and knowing that it's to lead others to Jesus. One last look back at the scripture in Acts 2 and in, in particular the final verse. Um, when the day of Pentecost um, had fully come, they were all uh, with one accord in one place, one of the scriptures says, and the Spirit fell. They weren't just all together in one place. They were all of one accord. And the Spirit falls when there's unity in the house. The fragrance of the oil is the fragrance of the Holy Spirit lingering and infusing into others. And when we get community together right, when we're in unity with God, in unity with each other, 
Um, and we're, we're knowingly carrying the presence of God, knowing that his fragrance will be around us, purposefully permeating the world that we live in, then the world will know that God the Father sent Jesus and loved them. And we need to be united to walk in God's blessing, to fight for unity in our community, to actively work for unity. Unity in our life with God, unity in our lives as a community together. Let's trust God that as we respond to Jesus' call for unity, the Spirit will fall. The fragrance of Christ will be strong as we go about our daily walk and many will come to give their lives to him as a result. And it can happen as we walk closely to God, as we follow Jesus' command to, to love each other as he has loved us. And we get filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. And as we purposefully take the aroma of Christ into our workplaces, communities and families, um, as we sacrificially step out for Jesus, I believe we'll see an outpouring of his spirit and lives transformed and souls saved and communities changed like never before. Church community is God's plan to change the world. Are you up for it? Amen.